my name is Tony Hunt. I'm pastor here at LAFC, and we're in the midst of a series called Anchored. And where this comes from is out of the, the, the text in Hebrews chapter 6, which says that in spite of whatever storms we have in our life, we have this anchor to our soul uh, that is found in Christ Jesus. In other words, that if the intensities of life are creating havoc, if you are rooted in Jesus Christ and the hope found in him, you have an anchor that will keep you from being adrift and, and being hindered by the storm. And so we've looked at the relational challenges that come in life that can create that anchor uh, anchored need. Uh, we have emotional challenges from stresses at work to anxieties and worries, depression, and yes, even issues of being harmed by other people, things that can genuinely take its toll on us emotionally and spiritually. But as we go through such things, it's easy to then get into questions that can cause us to doubt who God is. And so today we're going to be going to the book of Romans chapter 1 uh, to look at some important truths about who God is. So if you need a Bible, our ushers would be glad to provide you one. Again, that is found in Romans chapter 1. So coming off of talking about relational and emotional brokenness and issues like that that can cause storms of life, uh, it's really easy to begin to become disillusioned with who God is, uh, to uh, become doubtful to his presence or his power or his influence. And, uh, and so questions begin to arise such as, where was God when I was praying to him about this issue? Did he even hear me? Was God there when this was done to me that altered my life forever? How often in the midst of such questioning of God, when there is something we're so desperate for and praying about, that we tend to ascribe to God our limitations? How often do you, when you pray to God, that you limit his power and his ability according to your own capacity. When you pray, such as, I'm praying for something pretty significant, but I'm, I'm, I'm praying with little faith because it's impossible, because I physically can't do it. And so therefore, in my prayers, I'm praying to God as if he's going to struggle to do it as well. Let me give you a brief example in my own life. In my uh, relational world, my oikos, there's, uh, my cousins were very close to me uh, growing up. We lived distances apart, but we got together often over gatherings, and we would play lots of games in, the, in my grandparents' yard, and, and we had lots of discussions. But as I got into high school, and they were in middle school, and one was in ninth grade, I, I began to be burdened for them because I didn't think they knew Jesus. So I prayed. It's like, God, somehow, in the place that they live, would you bring them to Jesus? And, and in that prayer, it was very challenging because I wasn't sure how that could happen because they lived in a very small place in Colorado. And, and so I'm praying, God, somehow bring them to Jesus. Well, it occurred to me as I had been praying over that for several months that they were going to be coming to my graduation party uh, from high school. And so I began to pray, God, somehow, while they're here, 
help me be able to share Jesus with them. So they came to my graduation party. I still hadn't talked to them about anything in regards to Christ. So I realized that I was going to be going to a youth rally that night, a Christian gathering of about 2,000 teenagers. I thought, why don't I invite them to come along? So I did, and they accepted. So we go to this event, and there's all this music and activities, and then somebody sharing the gospel. And at the end of that time, they responded to the person inviting them forward if you want to give your life to Jesus. They came forward, and I was just like, that is incredible. So I've been praying for months, and now it became a reality. So they go off to their hometown in Flagler, Colorado. I graduate, and now and I'm going to a college in Bolivar, Missouri. But now God is rising up within me this concern because now that they know Jesus, there's not many good churches in a town of 500 people, especially in this tiny little town. I mean, this town is a stop along I-70. If you've driven through Kansas, and yes, some of you have complained about Kansas to me and driving through there, when you come across the Colorado line, it gets even flatter. And the second or third exit when you come into Colorado is this little town called Flagler. There's one little place to eat, and there's one gas station. That's where my cousins are from. But now I'm in where you see the other dot in Missouri. I'm in a college at, at Southwest Baptist University in Bolivar, Missouri. I'm 700 miles away from my cousins. But God is putting upon my heart that they need more. They need taught more. They need understanding. And somebody needs to go. And I'm like, God, somehow can I get with them again? Because now I'm starting to think that the only one that can help them is me. But in my prayers, I'm so doubtful because it's like, I can't get there. I'm a college student. I don't have money. And it's a long drive, a long ways away. And I'm like, Lord, somehow, somehow, help me. The next day was the first cool day of college. Everybody's wearing jackets for the first time. Guy was walking. I come out of my dorm room to go to class. I see a guy walking down the hallway in front of me with his letterman's jacket on. It said, Flagler, Colorado, on the back of it. And I'm looking at this in total disbelief. And then I mustered up the most intelligent question I could come up with. I said, hey, are you from Flagler, Colorado? <laughs> he turns around, smiling, he goes, yes, you know about Flagler. I'm like, yeah, my cousins live there. And he says, well, who are your cousins? And I said their names. And he goes, oh, I absolutely know them. And I said, you're not going to believe this. Just last night, I was praying for them. You see, they gave their lives to Christ back in, in May, and, and I, was, I was just praying that somehow uh, that, that God would help them grow in their faith. He just smiled, and he says, well, that's funny, because just yesterday, my brother called, who's in high school, and as a friend of your cousins, called to tell me he started a Bible study, and both of your cousins are going. <laughs> and you think, you know, how limited is my understanding of God? I'm 700 miles away at a small Christian university. My cousins are 700 miles away in a small town of 500 people where a Bible study is started by the brother of a floor mate of mine in college. Had no clue. But God is that powerful. He, is, he uses his knowledge. He uses his skills to bring about the work he's begun in people's lives. Even if we feel it's impossible. This changed how I prayed, if you can imagine. As I'm praying for people, it changes. Like, Lord, if I can't send someone else. 
God, I know I can't, but you can figure it out, right? And, and so it's a game changer when you start realizing God is not limited by your space, your skills, your time, and your power. God is beyond that. And so today as we look at who God is, we're going to discover him as the God Almighty, the all-powerful one, God the victorious one, God who is able, and God who can and will. Omnipotence basically in its meaning basically says this, that God is able to do all that his holy will wishes to accomplish. God is able to do all that his holy will can accomplish. So let's look at Romans 1.18 to begin to look at biblically what it means and the implications therein of what it means to have a God who is all-powerful but also has a holy will. So Romans 1.18 begins with this. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature have clearly been seen and being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. So let me end there. So it begins with this wrath of God statement. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the, God, the godlessness and wickedness that's here on this earth. And what is being said here is that ultimately evil, because it is acting out and it desires uh, to accommodate self to its fullest end, will eventually suppress the truth of God. So when people are doing the depraved things their, their nature desires to do, they ultimately are suppressing the realities of God's power and his nature, his moral nature. And so when you live that out long enough and you do not want to accept the idea of a powerful God who has a holy nature, then you're eventually going to keep suppressing that truth to where your denial of an existent God happens. God says, I have made myself plainly known. Through creation, I've made myself plainly known. Verse 19. And he says, in that plain knowledge that I've made known, I have revealed my power and my nature. In other words, that I am all-powerful and I have a moral code to my being. That is rooted in the evidence of all that you and I see around us. So if somebody never had access to the word of God, the knowledge that there is a powerful God and that his nature is higher than ours and is holy is revealed in creation. It's called general revelation. Now, in this he says that because this is true, no man, no woman, no person has excuse. You can't die on this earth, come before God, and all of a sudden say, oops, I thought you weren't real. No, God will say, no, I have made it plain to you. My power, my nature was all around you. 
You chose to deny it. You chose to suppress it. And they do that because who wants to be convicted of the idea that if there is an all-powerful God who has an all sense of morality to him, then it would call into account our lives. Because if there is this powerful God with a moral code, then we would need to do something, right? Because he would want something of us. So ultimately what this says is that the idea that somebody would say, I am an atheist, Scripture would say, is utterly profound in its invalidity. Do you understand what I'm saying? That basically when somebody says that I am an atheist, they are saying so out of a suppression of truth. Let me give you an example. When I was a youth pastor about 15 years ago, there was a context. We're coming back from a retreat. We're on a school bus. And there's about 50 kids on this school bus. And I'm sitting towards the front. And there's a discussion going on in the back of the bus. It's going around. I don't know what it's about. Finally, one of the students comes up and says, you got to come back here. This, this exchange student from Germany was back there. And after all the powerful things God had done in the lives of the kids on that retreat, which, by the way, it hit me, my dad was the speaker at that retreat. And he's now part of this church. He was in first service. I didn't say it when he was here. I didn't want him smiling too big. <laughs> but anyway, God moved powerfully in this retreat. And, we're, and these kids were just utterly confounded that it's like, how can he say he still is an atheist? How can he even believe that after seeing the evidence that was right there before his eyes? And so they were talking to him, trying to, to instruct him differently, help him understand. So basically arguing with him. So then one of them asked him, will you talk to Tony? He said, sure. So that person comes up, gets me, and I go to the back of the bus. I have no idea the context. So they share with me what's going on and that, what, that they can't understand why this young man from Germany would say, I don't believe there's a God. I am an atheist. So I asked him, well, tell me your story. He looked at me, what do you mean? I said, tell me your testimony of how you became an atheist. So he did the best he could. He shared his story. And I said, okay, that, that makes sense. Can I ask you, are you wanting me to speak freely? He says, absolutely. I want you to speak freely. And I said, okay, I don't believe you. And he looked at me like, well, that's kind of rude. You know, kind of that look like shock. Like, why would you say that? And I said, because I honestly believe Scripture tells us that God has placed the knowledge of himself in every man's heart and that he reveals himself through creation, that he is eternally powerful and he is a moral, holy God. So I believe that somehow you're suppressing this reality and, 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 and therefore ignoring the truth. So my question to you then is, why are you ignoring him? And he got deer in the headlights look, as if he got caught. And he said, if I admit with my mouth that there is a God, then I know I'm going to have to make some decisions that I'm not ready to make. And nobody where I come from would ever admit there's a God. And I said, so fear keeps you from saying with your mouth that there is a God. I said, at what point are you going to be willing to accept and look past the feared and see and understand who that God is and what he might want from you. He says, well, I guess you're going to have to pray for me. And would you know it? Those students came around him and prayed. He didn't give his life to Christ that day, 
But it taught us something. When somebody claims, I am an atheist, there's usually something they're suppressing to avoid the reality of God. And in this text, it's saying that not only is God making himself known, and it's plainly known, it is about his power and his nature. So let's look at the scriptures that speak to his power, because that's what we're speaking to today. Jeremiah 32 verse 17 says this, Awe sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. So it starts with this awe sovereign Lord, the one who is in control and active. You Lord have made the heavens and the earth. Nothing is too difficult for you. The psalmist says something similar when he says, I consider the moons and the stars and how incredible that is. And then I begin to realize, so what is man that you would ever think about me? When you realize just how powerful, magnificent this God is. Psalm 115 verse 3 says this, Our God is in heaven and he does whatever pleases him. Psalmist goes on to speak to what pleases him is to to be able to act out of his perfect and holy will. I mean, think about it. If you or I did whatever pleased us on whatever whims may come, most of us would end up in jail. It's true. Because a lot of what comes to our emotions and mind comes at the cost of others. And there are laws against it. So if we were to act according to whatever would please us in the moment, it would actually lead to our incarceration, into our bondage. But for God, because his character is perfect and holy, he can do whatever pleases him, and he stays within the boundaries of this perfect will, that freedom abounds. Jesus says this in Matthew 19 when he says Jesus looked at these people who had challenged that God can't possibly answer this prayer, which was interesting. Again, they're they're ascribing to God their limitations. God isn't limited like them. So Jesus actually confronts this directly and says, with man, this is indeed impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Gabriel, the angel, says this, no word from God will fail. No word from God will ever fail. Could you imagine a human being that could speak and everything they said worked out, was true, and was powerfully true, and would happen? That's the kind of power that God has that everything he says succeeds. Everything. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 says, And I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. The all-powerful God says this, that I as father will make you part of my family. Consider this. Would you just randomly invite anybody to be in your household to live? You would, natural instincts would say, that's not a good idea. There are people of poor character, people that you cannot trust, that you would invite into your household because you would never know what they might do to you. 
But this powerful God says, you, all of you, in spite of your depraved state, in spite of your sin, invites you into his family, and he's okay with that. Not with your sin, but with the fact that you're not perfect. Because he will redeem you and make you perfect. And so in this, his power is life-changing and invites all people. Jesus was chastised for this. Remember what he was being rebuked for? You're a friend of sinners, Gentiles, tax collectors, heathens, drunkards. Now, was Jesus getting drunk? Was Jesus robbing his people like tax collectors? Was Jesus behaving like a Gentile or was he practicing the Jewish faith? No, Jesus wasn't becoming like them. He was just simply reaching out to them. Because he can. The power of God is transforming where he maintained his influence and not became the influenced. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. So to him, God himself, through his son, Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit, he is able to do more than you and I can imagine. Now, I don't know about your creativity, but this mind, my mind, can imagine a lot. I can imagine a lot. But there are limitations, like I said. I cannot figure out how I'm going to disciple my cousin 700 miles away. I cannot, because there wasn't the internet at the time. I cannot figure out how I'm going to be able to get somebody to help them. Because I don't know anybody from there. You get the point? God's not limited by our limited knowledge. He is beyond that. And then to go with his knowledge that is beyond our knowledge, he has the power to back it up. To the glory found in the church through Jesus Christ. Not only for today, but for generations to come. That's the power of God. But the scriptures don't stop there. It wants to help you understand that that power is according to a divine nature. So there are things that God and his character won't do. And that is this. God does not and cannot lie. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 18 says, It is impossible for God to lie. Titus chapter 1 verse 2 says, God who does not lie as the descriptor. So in other words, God in his character has an impossibility. He will always tell the truth. It's an impossible thing for him to ever be shady or to ever say something that's slightly off. He is 100% truth, not 98% truth. You can trust him to the fullest end because of his character. Secondly, God does not and cannot tempt or guide anyone towards evil. God will never, ever guide you towards an evil end. That is not his nature. James 1.13 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. And lastly, God cannot and will not cease to exist. 
Revelation chapter 1 verse 8 says, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the all-powerful one, the Almighty. God has always been and will always be. And so therefore, he cannot cease to exist. And I am so glad we have an all-powerful God who has a divine nature that is holy that will not cease to be present. Exodus chapter 3, verse 14 and 15 speaks to that within his name. This is the name that God gave himself to Moses when he says, I am who I am. This is my name forever. Your, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. I am is a term and a phrase that says always, never has not been, always existent. So God, who is all present and all powerful, has in his name this, this ongoing power to it that says I am who I am. So if you doubt, tell them my name. So what can we learn from this idea if God is an all-knowing God as we talked about last week and this week that he can because he is an all-powerful God. The first and most important thing that relates to you and I is that God can make beauty out of your incredible mess. Consider the stories in this room. I'm pretty confident that it, we could probably share quite the story of depravity, the, quite the story of messed up lives. But somehow, when we thought it was impossible, God said, I can. I mean, how often have you heard somebody say, no way can God do anything with me. There's no way God could forgive me for this. I've done way too much to be forgiven for. They're ascribing their own limitations upon God when they say that because they're saying, I couldn't possibly forgive somebody for that kind of mess. How can God forgive me for that kind of mess? How can I even clean up such a mess? It's impossible for me. So therefore, how can God ever clean up such a mess? God can, and he does. And many here in this room are testimonies to that fact. I've made many messes only to see God redeem them one by one. Secondly, I think one of the great things about this idea of the power of God is that when God begins something in your life, as according to Philippians 1, 6, he says he will bring it to completion. He's not a starter that leaves a work undone. How many projects are left undone by people that are well-meaning, well-intentioned? They start something, but it gets difficult, and then they walk away. God does not treat you and I that way. He begins a work in you, and he completes it. When I led a mission trip to Mexico a few years ago, back in the 90s, we had seen God work so powerfully among all the children we had done sports camp with, we'd done VBS with. Many kids gave their lives to Christ. A lot of work was done to the glory of God, and it was exciting. On our final night in Mexico, our team's taking time to debrief it, and there's 36 of them, all right? 30 teenagers, 6 adults. 
And we're all talking about all that we'd seen God do that week. And then the, the meaning kind of changed. And there began to be fear. What's going to happen to those kids? Who's going to help them going forward? One person actually said, we've got to stay. We can't go back. We need to stay here. Now forget the fact that the whole week we've been working with the local church there. They were going to be following up with these kids. But what was happening is that these kids had saw and understood a limited God. And they thought, we're the ones that brought them the good news. And therefore, we're the ones that's going to help them grow up in their understanding of it. And they were distraught. So we took time to prepare them for understanding. And I shared a story that, you know what, God is the one that's in control. And we have to trust that he's going to grow somebody out. And I said, there is a young man in my first ever mission trip, three years before this moment in Mexico, I had gone to on a mission trip to Mississippi. And we were helping people who had experienced a hurricane. And this church had been destroyed by, the, by a torrential uh, flooding. And, and there was one boy in this church that, whose life was greatly impacted. And I said, you know what? I felt like I needed to stay because this young man clearly was impacted by God and he was about 16 years old at the time. And I thought, I'm the one that needs to disciple him. I almost sent the team back and let myself stay so I could spend time with this young man. But I had to trust this local retired pastor. He says, don't worry, we'll stay on top of him. But I admit that in my heart, I was struggling and I said, you know what? I have to, to this day, trust that Billy is okay. I have to trust that what God began in Billy's life will be brought to completion. I said, I don't know where Billy's at now, but I'm trusting God for where Billy is at. I said, so let's spend time praying to God who can continue to stay with these kids and, and, and develop them to understand more fully his nature and his power. So we prayed. The next day, we get on a plane at a border airport there in Texas, and we fly to a connecting flight in Houston, Texas. While we're, fly, while we're making the exchange from one gate to another, as we're walking through, I hear this loud, Tony! And running towards me was Billy. I had not seen Billy in three years. I had no idea on how to connect with Billy. I have no idea what's even going on in Billy's life. But Billy comes running up, gives me this big hug. Meanwhile, 30-something people come around us. And finally, I introduced him to the team. I said, hey, everyone, this is Billy. <gasps> Everybody's mouths dropped. They thought this was staged. When they're seeing this, and I'm like getting caught up with Billy and so on, and I was like, man, I haven't seen you forever. I was like, what are you doing now? And he says, I'm going to seminary. And I'm going to join the ministry. And again, all the team was like, oh. And what we learned that day was that God is so powerful that he goes way beyond your limitations and he continues his work in the lives of people that he began. He used you for a season of time in somebody's life. He will use another to continue the work. We got to quit having such high faith in ourselves, but rather having high faith in God. We got to quit limiting God to our limitations and acknowledge that God is way beyond your capacities. God is a God that will continue his work. Also, I think within this, we can then trust that if God is all-powerful, 
and he is able to do all that his holy desire wishes, then we can trust then that he stands victorious over all of those who are bent towards evil. He will stand victorious both here on earth and in spiritual realm. And lastly, especially in light of this series, if you are beat up, if you are tired, if you are exhausted, that your faith has become so tiny and small, that you're even doubting God's existence, or that maybe you're doubting that God can make beauty out of your mess. Hear this text. Jesus speaking, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, Jesus says this yoke, which usually had two oxen in it, if you come into the, the, the stock next to me, I will be the one to bear the weight. I'll be the one to help you power through so that your burden becomes light. And his nature is gentle and humble and caring for those who are burdened and weary how important it is to understand that God is not us. God is more capable than us. In fact, he can do all that he wishes according to his nature. God can, is able to make beauty out of messes and God is able to transform your life or the lives of those you care for if we'll just trust in his power, his knowledge, and his heart. Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful you're you and I'm not. God, I am thankful that you also have a nature that is holy and pure, even when mine is not. And God, I'm so thankful that we can trust that in that nature and in that power that you will go to the furthest ends. When we see it as impossible, you see it as possible. So we declare you as God. We declare you as a holy God. And we declare you as a God who loves us, who is humble and gentle at heart. So Lord, allow these truths to minister to those who are beaten down, who are hindered and are hurting. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.